Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, sorry for the delay there. Hey, uh, sometimes you talk to people and they just exude wisdom. Uh, they they solve complex problems. They find things that need to be addressed and take care of those things. My next guest is that type of a person. I've been talking with Larry Bell for for years on complex problems and solutions that he comes up with. Uh, his company name is Advisors LLC. And Larry is uh, going to talk to us today about benefit planning for nonprofits after some final regulations that have just been published recently. Larry, welcome to the show. Welcome back, I should say, and thanks for joining us. Bill, thank you. It's great to be back. Hey, Larry, uh, uh, you've been on the show many, many times and solved many, many problems, but our listeners that are just listening for, to you for the first time don't know who you are, so tell us a little bit about your background and uh, fill them in. Thank you, Bill. Um, I'm a native-born Washingtonian. By that, I mean Washington, D.C., and I am an attorney by trade. I started with the law firm of Bell, Bell & Bell, which was my mother, my father, and myself. My father passed away. My mother became a judge. I rolled that practice into a 20-person law firm, grew it to 60, and then about 18 years ago, was asked to go into the insurance industry where I used my intellectual capital and received a number of patents. Uh, since 2001, I took that knowledge base that I had in working with publicly held companies and have been supporting attorneys, accountants, and financial planners throughout the United States and Europe and Asia to continue to problem solve using a multidisciplinary approach not just legal, not just accounting, not just actuarial, not just financial, rolling it all up and together so that we get the client where they need to be. That's fantastic. It's so, it's so needed. So many people stick to their silos and planning. And uh, when, when one person can kind of say, let's take the silos down, let's look at all the problems in, uh, in here and, all, and the potential solutions as they come to light, uh, it, it takes uh, uh, an amazing mind to be able to pull all that together and communicate it back to people. And Larry, you're that guy. So, uh, what's we're, we're dealing with a, a recent issue here. That uh, tell us about what's happened with nonprofits, what the recent regulations have been, and what the problems are that are facing them for their benefit planning. Bill, thank you. There were regulations generated on June 21st of this year, 2016, which were the, and this is going to sound funny, they were the final regulations to regulations and the code that was passed 38 years ago for Section 457 and 457F dealing with deferred compensation and benefits for nonprofits. Um, some things take longer than others. Uh, yeah, <laughs> no one goes on in D.C. I actually saw this on the horizon back between 1995 and 2005 when I was on the IRS form for the Ethical Practice of Tax Administration. So I saw where there was a need, and as we'll discuss in a little bit, I was able to take steps so that I actually have received, through my intellectual capital, a patent that helps people that find themselves working with nonprofits in the most economically efficient way to do their personal planning. 
So these regulations were first generated 37 years ago, and why do you think it's taken so long for these final regs to come about? Um, that's a fair question, and knowing how things happen in Washington, D.C., knowing how things go through changes and changes and changes in different administrations and different interest groups, um, you begin to realize it moves with the speed of a glacier. What, has ha what happened was the field of deferred compensation has laws, regulations, and court cases that have given a bright line test over the years. The nonprofit, and that's not just churches and hospitals, but it's over 22 different subcategories of nonprofits because they are not taxed um, on the money that they generated. There is no um, pressure to mm. not give money out. However, if the money is not to be taxable to the participant, it ends up being uh, very hard to control. What has also happened is nonprofits, for example, hospitals, um, are going through huge economic dislocation. There is very narrow margins, and this is why you're seeing uh, the tumult within the hospital industries with more and more mergers and acquisitions. So these rules finally got documented and were generated so that we now have a bright line test dealing with risks of forfeiture, dealing with severance pay. They have very, very strong rules to follow in that area. And then there is a safe harbor dealing with death benefit planning. In other words, insurance funded for your highly compensated, your top hat group of employees that we now have a test that can be followed so there can be certainty in the results of the planning. And were the final regulations, um, were there any surprises in those that, that or were they pretty they, close to where the rules had been uh, amended in 2005 area where you were talking about they were looking at it before? Uh, Bill, that's that's a fair question. And what they did was that before it was a generic description, and now what they have done is they have integrated in, and this often happens in the tax laws, they, adopt, they incorporated by reference another section of the law that has a long and detailed roadmap to follow so that we now know, and not to confuse your listeners, but the 457E11 death benefit Safe Harbor incorporates by reference Treasury Reg 31.3121 V2 so that one section of the law reaches out and says you'll be okay as long as you follow that section of the law, and that section of the law does have bright line tests that we can follow. Okay. Okay, so so what's the what's the problem uh that we're trying to solve here. I know that there's always been, with deferred compensation in nonprofits, there's always been strict requirements for non-forfeiture, and that in some cases meant even leaving the company uh, would trigger a, a, a immediate distribution, and that was problematic. But what, what's the problem that we want to talk about today? Thank you. 
the way that the laws settle down with now with the regulations, the employer in providing a death benefit to the employee has to have the control of the policy. The individual who is covered, while they can have naked legal title, they cannot have any control over even the naming of the beneficiary. So mm. what we did was adapt the plan covered by the intellectual capital protection that I received so that the plan itself names the beneficiaries as permitted under Treasury Reg 31.3121. So initially the beneficiary is the spouse of the employee, and if not the spouse of the employee, then the natural objects of their bounty is described under the individual's last will and testament or revocable trust so that this is a way that we can comply and have the employer funding and then we can have a naked legal title to the policy go to the employee and so that then upon termination of employment upon the employee no longer being an employee of the employer then that departed employee will continue to own the policy so the death benefit can continue on for the benefit of the former employee so that we can have not only current death benefit funded by the employer, uh, a very small number of people die before they retire. This way we can have the policy continue in effect after the withdrawing employee is no longer working for that hospital or for that nonprofit, and then they in turn will be able to have the benefits of the ownership of the policy, which would be in providing the death benefit for their loved ones, and to the extent that there may have been a cash value buildup in that policy over the duration of the funding period, then the, the former employee has the rights, title, and interest to receive that money down the road. So it gets current death benefit together with a cushion in the future that the withdrawing employee may have a form of supplemental retirement benefit that has been funded over their working life. Okay, so to back up a little bit from from uh, the original way of setting these things up would be that the employer, the nonprofit would own the policy and then through some kind of a collateral assignment or other uh, split dollar type of a concept, um, allow the employee to receive the death benefit as long as tax free as long or their their beneficiaries as long as they pay an economic benefit on it. Uh, but the problem was that the employer still owned the policy, and at the time the employee leaves service, they they may or may not be able to have that assigned over to them without it becoming. Uh, a taxable benefit, or the other issue would be maybe the employer maybe was unfriendly and they say, well, we're not going to assign it over. So it, is that in a nutshell um, the problem we're solving yeah. is that there now will be yeah. no question as to whether the employee gets to take that policy with them and um, the and name the and the beneficiary is named by uh, relationship, not by name. It sounds like in in the actual plan document. Correct, and then you have described okay. it much better than I could. That's why you're sitting in that seat, <laughs> sitting out here. No, you also, know, I, Bill, I, 
Go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, the the other thing that it does, you're right, it gives the assurance to the uh, individual that ultimately he will continue to be able to have that benefit being provided for his family. And with the policy no longer funded by the plan, then those provisions of the plan that mandated who the beneficiary should be will no longer be effective, and then you're going to have the withdrawing employee with a BOLUP, with a big old life insurance policy that they, in effect, can then name whoever they want as their beneficiary. It may be the same people, the natural objects of their bounty that, that were there in the first place, or if not, it still is something that the withdrawing employee will be able to have the right to control and to name as the facts change. So I'm kind of picturing you've got the employer on one side in a bubble and you've got the employee on another side in the bubble. And is is the policy kind of floating in a bubble between the two of them so that uh, because technically yeah. in, in deferred comp before you've had the employer own the policy in their bubble and it had to leave to get to the employee and then with that transaction came a taxable event of some kind and there was no middle bubble available in in the form of a plan. So under this approach, right, mm-hmm. and you describe it with the bubbles very well, you will have the employee as long as the plan is being funded will have no control over the policy at all. Mm-hmm. The employer will be funding the actuarially determined cost of the current death benefit. Okay. The, neither the employer or the employee have the right to any cash values in the policy. Upon right. the employee no longer being covered by the plan, the employer drops away. They have no right title or interest in the policy anymore. Mm-hmm. The the insu- the insured former employee then, in consulting with their tax advisor, will be able to de- determine whether or not taking money out of that policy in the future would be taxable to them. Mm-hmm. If it were, then it still is much better than under the existing rules that require a acceleration and the risk of forfeiture in and of itself is a taxable event. Under 457E11, it specifically says the risks of forfeitures, the 457F rules, the acceleration of the taxation do not apply. So we're going to be able to provide a selective benefit for selective employees in the top hat area, so it's generally the top 10% of the covered employees in a economically efficient way, employer expenses it, the taxation to the employee during the funding period is the table 2001 rates or the cheapest term rates available by the carrier. That's the economic benefit. So it's very clean, it's very straightforward, it's very simple, and it gives a huge benefit arrangement for the employees and where when you're looking at doctors and hospitals, many times they are not employees, many times they're independent contractors. These regulations spell out that 
hey, not just employees, but also independent contractors can participate mm. in this plan. So it is a tremendous planning tool. That is, that is uh, you know, if you're listening to this and you're you're not getting this, then you're probably not in that nonprofit sector and really realize how difficult this has been to do uh, to reward your key employees and your doctors and your your highly compensated people on a selective basis. This opens up a huge uh, uh, door of opportunity. Now, Larry, uh, one question people would probably have is that is, is there a way to retrofit existing plans to to this plan? And if so, would it would it just be causing a tax? Uh, problem to, to retrofit just as if you made a distribution or or what, what are the ramifications that, that's there? That's a more than fair question and unfortunately we have to look at the base documents that have been drafted and that the tax exempt entity has been working with uh, because my organization only gets compensated upon success we are very happy to work with tax-exempt entities, with participants in those entities. We're happy to look at their documents to, to determine whether or not we can, as you put so well, retrofit so that where there was an existing buildup, we can uh, then reuse that money in an economically efficient way. I would tell you that in the profit arena, we have been able to do that uh, with deferred mm -hmm. compensation and then having the plans amended so that those monies can be reused. Uh, so it's, uh, I'll give you a lawyer's answer. It depends. Yeah, well, it, it's worth looking into because even if it caused a tax hit um, for, you know, for existing employees who maybe you bought policies a long time ago, they're still going to be using the old policy parameters versus the new regime policy parameters, which, of course, have much lower guarantees and in their cash buildup and things of that nature. So they may be it may be well worth it to look into that, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. And there's also a type of insurance product out there now, which is called an index universal, which mm -hmm. has uh, is much less volatile than what we have seen in the historic days of variable universal and, and universal. Um, perhaps we can talk about that at another time, but worst case, you could go back into those old policies and you could access some of the cash in those policies, and then you could roll those into the new planning tool. There's there's a number of ways we've found to skin the cat. That's terrific, but again, the the idea here is not to tell you it's good or bad for your particular situation, but just simply to alert you to the fact that the, the new final regs are in and there are some very positive uh, ramifications. If you are a nonprofit organization or a highly compensated employee, you should bring, be bringing it to the attention of your nonprofit and saying, hey, can we look at this and see if we can get to a better place than we've been with all the uncertainty we've had in the past. Larry, what, would would you call this type of a plan, uh, is there some kind of a planning name for it that people can reference? Uh, yes. It's referred to as a 457 DBO. 457 is the section of the Internal Revenue Code, and then DBO stands for death benefit only. So it's a 457 DBO. 
Okay, so 457 DBO, again, using the the final regs that have just been published uh, this year uh, that have been hanging out there for quite a while and create a much better environment, certainly from an employee standpoint. You're going to feel a lot better if you know that that, that policy is uh, going to come to your uh, beneficiaries without without any concern uh, or risk uh, of, of that not happening in the future. And uh, it sounds like a terrific idea. Larry, how do our listeners uh, best get in touch with you to talk about this? Thank you. Um, first of all, a lot of there's been proof that people like to look things up before they actually talk to people. If people were to reach out to LinkedIn and then, quotes, friend me, they'll see on my LinkedIn site that I have 12 different articles dealing with many of these type of solutions together with interviews that I've given, many thankfully with you. So that's one of the way if they want to um, touch and feel stuff ahead of time. Otherwise, I can be reached at my email is lawrencebell2016 at gmail.com. And I'm always available on my cell at 240-604-6945. So besides listeners that may be uh, employees or nonprofit uh, administrators, if you're an advisor and you're listening to this, uh, Larry, you're, you're open for calls with advisors to talk about this, of course, as well, correct? A- absolutely. And in fact, I do more joint work with people that used to be my competition. I provide solutions for accountants, law firms, financial planners, and insurance professionals. Uh, I'm happy to listen. I'm happy to design. Um, It actually is the most efficient way to meet the client's needs because that attorney, that accountant, that financial planner – has that long ongoing relationship with that end user, the client. So this way, the client is best served because their advisors will be uh, have gone through the approach; they'll be comfortable with it. So it becomes a very time-wise, very efficient way to get these things on track. I would tell you that because we're actually coming up to with these areas. Uh, with the regulations, we have a window period uh, to move on it. And in another uh, area that uh, we haven't talked about recently, but I'd love to revisit with you on captive insurance and 831Bs, that's looking at a December 31st, 2016 deadline. So these people want to start looking at these things now so they don't get caught between a rock and a hard place. Absolutely. Yeah, that's uh, that's terrific. Well, we'll, let's do another interview to talk about that, Larry, and uh, really appreciate you coming back on and uh, bringing us up to speed on things. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. I look forward to the next time that we get a chance to talk. Bill, thank you. Once again, I enjoyed it, and thank your audience for all their time. All right, we're going to take a short break. We'll be right back, and uh, hang out. Hang with us, please. Hey everybody, it's Bill Black, the Exit Coach from the Exit Coach Radio Show. One of the questions I get asked the most is how do I grow the value of my business? I'm so busy working in it, I need to work on it. So we've created a special report for you on 10 tips to grow the value of your business. Just text the word DRIVERS 
to 44222 to get a special free report right to your inbox. That's drivers to 44222. Text drivers to 44222. Thank you for listening to Exit Coach Radio. 